This week's Pharmacy Magazine Talking Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by Aronix, Sildenafil 50mg from Dr. Reddy's. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Talking Pharmacy podcast, where we look back at what's been happening in pharmacy over the past week or so. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and join me on the pod are Rob Darcott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist, and Helena Beer, editor of Training Matters. So we have a full house of CIG editors, which is great. It's sweltering here in London, and we've got some hot stories to talk about too. So let's start with Good Week, Bad Week. Lots to fit in, so just a good week or a bad week, please. Uh, Helena first, what have you got for us? Hi, thanks, Richard. Um, So I'm going for good week this week, and I think that it's the Royal Pharmaceutical Society and their call for action on women's health inequalities. Um, So the statement they released this week really focuses on the fact that there's quite a significant stigma surrounding women's health issues, um, and that can prevent them from wanting to speak openly about the things that they might be experiencing. And the RPS also highlighted that um, putting off those conversations can affect quality of life um, and also lead to late cancer diagnoses in some cases, um, which obviously lowers the chance of um, successful treatment. Um, Anecdotally as well, I think that often um, the woman's role is one of caregiver rather than care receiver. Um, So they can be preoccupied with the health of their loved ones rather than their own health and put um, put off seeking help because it'll do tomorrow, which um, doesn't help with starting conversations and breaking the stigma. Um, the RPS commented that there's a role for pharmacists in helping to reduce health these health inequalities for women through what it referred to as a range of public health services, um, and adding that pharmacists would be ideally placed to be involved in service redesign of how medicines are used to treat women's health conditions. Um, They also pointed out that um, pharmacists can play a greater role in supporting people from marginalised or economically deprived communities um, and ensuring inclusivity in everything that they do. So I think part of the RPS's hope is to improve awareness of what's normal and what's not with things like abnormal menstrual bleeding, bladder weakness and conditions that aren't necessarily understood by many women like endometriosis. Um, And they also want to focus on mental health support, which is something that we've heard a lot about recently across the board, um, and just supporting women through all stages of their lives with medication during pregnancy and breastfeeding, if those are relevant to an individual, um, and through menopause as well. Um, Claire Anderson, the newly appointed president of the society, said, and I quote, "Um, we believe women's health should be covered in undergraduate training for pharmacists and more research data is needed on how medicines work specifically in women. Um, A friend of the podcast, um, Ade Williams, commented on Twitter that he totally agrees with Claire, um, adding that there's so much that pharmacists can do offering access, dignity, person-centred care and advocacy for women. Um, He also said he was proud to see period poverty mentioned in the position statement. Um, And this is something we've covered earlier this year in TM. It's definitely something community pharmacy can support. Um, Overall, I was really pleased to see pharmacy teams mentioned in the position statement. Um, as being uniquely placed to offer this expert advice on medicines and healthcare to women. It didn't just focus on pharmacists. Um, But I'd add that I think women's health should be covered in the same way as was suggested for pharmacist undergraduate training um, and the initial education and training for pharmacy technicians as well. 
Yeah, very good. Thank you, Helena. So RPS calling for for measures to tackle the health inequalities experienced by by women across the country. You, you, you're right, H. I think some interesting things that Claire said there about women, women's health should be covered in the undergraduate training for pharmacists. And yeah, you're, you're, you're quite right, Helena, um, similarly for, for pharmacy technicians. So yes, an interesting and I think a timely intervention by the RPS there concerning women's health. Uh, thank you for that. Rob, let's go to you next. A good week or a bad week uh, and for whom? Well, I've, I've got a bit of both, Richard. Um, so I'm going to start with a good week. I think it's a good week for the public who can already count on healthy competition among pharmacy providers for sticking yet another needle in their arms this autumn. Yep, flu vaccinations are just around the corner and the big boys are already rolling out their booking websites for this year's campaign, covering, in some cases, both NHS and private jabs. You can now book an actual slot with both Boots and Well while Lloyd's Pharmacy are registering interest. The company says in the first week of their website, total registrations for the vaccine were 1,100% higher than last year, while there was a threefold increase in traffic to their flu information pages. Um, Roland's are offering an early bird £2 off their regular price if you pay before September the 5th. I don't think we've seen one of those before. So with all this early activity, I'll come to early intel on pricing in a moment. Independents might want to be thinking about how they ensure their regular patients know that they will be on the case too this year as it looks like the market is going to be full of messages. Of course, we don't quite know where the COVID booster might or might not fit, uh, and some information about whether that's going to be an actual thing would be welcome uh, and help with planning. And I suppose if we're looking for some negatives, potentially for independents in particular, there's going to be some extra competition in this space too this year, with news that pharmacy to you intend to build on their COVID experience. Uh, the company this week said that it's 25 COVID vaccination sites in cinemas, hotels, race courses and other sundry destinations have jabbed 620,000 people so far. Uh, so they are going to be building up by launching into flu vaccination in, quotes, a select number of sites. Not sure what that means. Uh, as for that promised pricing intel, it looks like Asda intend to capture the lowest price accolade for non-NHS jabs for another year at eight quid. Rollins are going to be in at eleven ninety nine once that early bird offer expires, and other companies look like they're pushing prices up by by a pound this year. According to the Love Money website, this includes Boots to fourteen ninety nine and Superdrug up to thirteen ninety nine. Uh, just to complete the picture or push it a little bit further, well, are going to be charging fourteen pound fifty, Peak Pharmacy twelve pounds, and I'd actually love to know how Murray's came up with a price of eleven pounds and forty five pence. Lloyd's Pharmacy have not yet announced their price. So it's all systems go for flu jabs 2021-22, Richard. Wow, Rob, there's uh, a lot in there. Uh, what the, the Good work on the price research there. Um, early bird deals, goodness me. Um, it's uh, The one thing you said there, I think that we you're absolutely right, Rob, we, we desperately need clarification is where COVID booster jabs fit into this because... You know, if you logistically, this is going to be quite complicated, isn't it? Especially if you if they're going to do COVID jabs and flu jabs at the same time, and what that means for for flu allocation, because um, some of the flu jabs, of course, have already been bought by pharmacies and GPs. So it'll be interesting just to see 
what happens there. But um, yeah, pharmacy gearing up for a busy flu season by all accounts. Uh, it's hold on to your heart's time because we're, we're, we're due a bad flu season because of everyone's reduced immunity. Um, so that was great. Great stuff, Rob. Really interesting. Um, Neil, let's go to you then. Good week or a bad week? It's been a bad week for the government. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, we've had a... Uh, well, actually, let me just say it's been a bad week for pharmacy because it's not been a great week for the government this week. Um, uh, it's still a lot of uncertainty around the integrated care systems and integrated care boards uh, as far as pharmacy is concerned. Uh, there's still a lot of contentious things about this bill that will need to be smoothed over before it has any chance of making it through uh, the legislative process. Um, lots to resolve. But as far as pharmacy is concerned, um, it's just more questions and answers. And uh, looking at some of the comments on Twitter, it, it seems to me that uh, you know pharmacists are not exactly... Uh, overly excited about the prospect of this of this bill and these new structures um, um, occurring, and, and probably at the moment for for, for good reason. Um, this week we had a, a webinar, a Sigma webinar, uh, which talked about the health and care bill and integrated care systems. So, uh, Jeremy Hunt was, uh, of course, the chair of the Health Select Committee, was one of those luminaries um, on on this during this webinar, who was talking about uh, potential how this may pan out, um, and. Uh, and, and not criticising Sigma here, you know, it was it, it, fair play to them. They, they managed to get these these high-profile people on, on, onto the webinar and, and fair play to them for that. But I thought the event itself left more questions than answers, really. Um, lots of shallow platitudes, uh, once again, uh, uh, for pharmacy, but, but nothing of real substance. Um, how do pharmacists make their mark on, on ICSs and integrated care boards, uh, which, of course, will manage primary care uh, contracts moving forward? Uh, Jeremy Hunt came out with uh, something along the lines of you need to make yourself heard, you need to ensure you're talking to the right people um, statement the bleeding obvious in my view, but anyway, Jackie Doyle Price at the APPG uh, said we all want pharmacists to be at the heart of ICSs um, great, you know, um, lots of, lots of uh, you know, in my view shallow platitudes but little, little substance a few days earlier we had Ed Waller at NHS England who said that there are mechanisms in place for pharmacists to make their mark on ICSs uh, in the design and the rollout of these services, uh, but again, without without much of an, a, a detailed explanation as to what these mechanisms are and how pharmacists identify them and, 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 and latch onto them. Um, so, so right now, it just seems as though pharmacy is destined to play second fiddle to general practice. We've been here before. Um, and, and bearing in mind that the Health and Care Bill it's government legislation. It's their overhaul, another overhaul, uh, nine years after the last one. Uh, bearing in mind, NHS England will come under the control of the government uh, under this bill um, and a whole range of other potential problems attached to this bill. Um, how can community pharmacy have trust in the government that the provisions and mechanisms will actually be there for them to actually get involved in any of this? Uh, I'm, I have to say at the moment... Um, my personal view is I, if I was a pharmacist, I wouldn't be too uh, confident about this. I'm, I wouldn't be jumping at the bit. I mean, I, I just think the lack of detailed explanation as far as pharmacy is concerned is, is quite a concern. And if past form is anything to go by, given how long the government dug its heels in over the COVID costs, and of course, we won't mention the 370 uh, million advance payments, um, I, wouldn't hold, I wouldn't hold my breath that, uh, that pharmacies, uh, that they, they're going to provide any kind of detailed explanation or support, or even even if there are any, any real willing there despite Ed Waller's words, that pharmacy really has a part to play. We need more details. We need more assurances from Mr. Jarvid, 
and the Department of Health, uh, and we need it now. So it's not been a great week for the government. Okay, well, yeah, thanks, Steve. I mean, well, it certainly would appear at this stage anyway that, that pharmacy as a, a non-medical primary care profession isn't going to get a have a seat at the uh, the new integrated care systems. And as these bodies are, are going to have a key role in commissioning pharmacy services, is this a tenable situation, as you suggest, Neil? Probably not. Does this mean that pharmacy is going to be fighting once more for, for crumbs thrown out by GPs? Well, possibly. I guess it, it depends on the local integration, doesn't it? And the, the, the quality of the local engagement. Uh, Rob, what, what do you think? Um, for me, Richard, there's, there's a big question that, that nobody seems to be wa- want to answer other than we're important in primary care and therefore we're important in primary care and therefore we should be in, involved. So w- why is it important? Um, and I think that what pharmacy needs to start thinking about is what do we want to say when we get involved in to get involved in integrated care systems? Do we just want to say we're important or we're a part of primary care or we're, we're what? Um, so what do we want people to say who are going to be engaged? But then more importantly than that, I don't think there's any clear sense across the sector as a whole of who, um, A, who might be best placed to make an impact because those people can not only influence potentially getting an invite in the first place, but might be best placed to represent the sector if they were to get an invite. Um, But also, key issues like how far, you know, if we were to be involved and around the table, not only what do we want people to say, but how far might those people go in agreeing to do something or agreeing to get involved in a a change of a pathway or having a conversation about what might be done differently? I'm not sure we've got a clear sense of what those different things might be. If you want my suggestions, I think there are some key opportunities in the existing framework around uh, GPCPCS, around a discharge medication service and around even around the new medicine service which form the building blocks for medicines optimization clinical services from community pharmacies support the better use of medicines across primary care but i don't see those things articulated outside of a kind of we need to be involved because we need to be involved um and so the first place to start for me would be to do a bit of stakeholder mapping and I think generally stakeholder mapping in pharmacy is a bit of a foreign country. But who knows who? Who's already involved? Who's talking to who? And how do we make sure that those conversations are actually pushing the case, not only for being around the table, but why that would be important uh, to the future of both not only primary care, but the future of healthier outcomes for patients and the public? Yes, uh- that's absolutely right, Robbie. It does come down, I think, like I'm probably agreeing with you there, to the, the quality of the engagement at a local level and the, the quality of the relationships and the closeness of the relationships at a local level. And, and as we discussed on previous podcasts, um, you know, those kind of things can't be magicked up overnight. They, they take time. Neil, do you want to come back in on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with what Rob says. Uh, it makes some good points. But I, I think that and a pharmacy has to get its house in order of course it does. And I think Jonathan Ashworth said 
uh, I think a couple of days ago, this is the, the wrong bill at the wrong time. And I think there's an argument to say, certainly from pharmacy's point of view, that could well be the case, because I think bearing in mind what's going on with the right review at the moment, you know, and LPCs, we know some of them have their own problems. A lot of responsibilities on LPCs here as well uh, to, to, to make sure that they're at the table and, and getting and, and getting involved and and, and 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 in some respect leading the way here. And we're in the middle of these reforms. It's not an ideal time for pharmacy, but nevertheless, there's no excuses. Um, the point I just want to make is if, if the government's bill doesn't create create the scope for, for any kind of uh, uh, pharmacy involvement, because at the, as things stand at the moment, these integrated care boards, which we're managing primary care contracts, has no insight from mental health services, from social care, from a whole host of other professions, including pharmacy. And they are wholly, as, as they are constructed at the moment, you know, controlled and, and dictated to and, and dominated by general practice. Um, and I and fair play, I, I know we're, we're going to talk about Simon Jukes a bit later on, but fair play to Simon Jukes, probably one, one of the last things that he did as PSNC chief executive was to actually come out along with all the other uh, British Dental Association and the dispensing opticians and the optometrists, etc., etc. is to come out and say, look, this is just not acceptable. This bill is not going to achieve what it wants to achieve. It's self-defeating because it's, there is no other there's no scope for other professions, including pharmacy, community pharmacy, to get involved. And and I think that the bill has to be right. Yes, pharmacy's got to get its house in order, but the bill has to be right to create the scope for that. Yeah, so Simon is going to be there for another three months or so, Neil. So not quite his last thing. But yeah, the the, the point you make is uh the point you make was right. The um primary care at the moment seems to be, you know, underrepresented in terms of the, the structures of the as they're currently being proposed anyway anyway it, one to keep an eye on this is this is developing but maybe just to kind of go back to one of you know rob's points this is something that i'm not sure has been discussed kind of widely enough yet amongst the professions representative bodies these are big changes that are going to have an impact possibly a very big impact down the line i don't sense a, a sense of readiness yet amongst our professional bodies um we shall see okay i'll go next um i'm Yes, you gave the game away, Neil. It's a, it's a bad week. It's a bad week for, for PSNC. Um, yeah, earlier on this week, we, we broke the news, thanks to a tip-off, that Simon Dukes was stepping down from PSNC after three and a half years in charge as chief executive. But this was a genuine surprise, this, but it was to me anyway. Simon, very well regarded in the sector, came in with an impressive CV, of course, uh, uh, and came in at a very difficult time for England's national negotiator. We'd had the the court cases, uh, which which didn't end well, and, and, and relations with the DH were at an extremely low ebb. And Simon did bring in a new approach. Um, he's much more transparent, I think, better communications from PSNC. And he was a great advocate for the sector. And he set about you know rebuilding those relationships internally and externally. And uh, as tough as things are, you know, progress was being made. So I, I, I think this is a, a blow. Um, and the timing is, is significant as well, I think, and concerning too, coming as it does halfway through a contractual cycle, negotiations at a difficult stage, doesn't send out a great signal. Now, you know, it is speculation. You, you do wonder whether it's just the impossible job and you're constantly banging your head against a brick wall with the government. It probably takes its toll and well, if a better offer comes along, you know, who could blame him for, for, for jumping ship? And possibly, possibly there may also be a bit of frustration there with the, the pace of change following the, the right review, which is, is glacial. But I don't know, maybe 
organizational change on the scale that's been envisaged was always going to take time. It's just the nature of the beast. It did strike me, by the way, thinking about this, by commissioning the right review. Um, Simon was like one of those nuggety, aggressive scrum halves in rugby, the type who, who starts a fight and then steps back as the, as the forwards slug it out. Uh, but in all seriousness, I mean, and talking of the work of the RSG, I think it's going to be really difficult for, for Simon's successor, whoever he or she is, and no obvious candidates spring to mind, um, as the organisation and the representational landscape could could look very different in 12 months' time. Um, I think that's tricky for a, a new chief exec, and maybe they'll, maybe they'll look to change things and, I don't know, appoint an interim head or, or, or split the role somehow. We shall see. Uh, anyway, not the, the right time, no pun intended, to look at, at Simon's legacy. He's still in post uh, until October, I think. But overall, bad news for pharmacy and bad week for contractors in England and for PSNC. So, Arthur, why don't you finish us off? Who's a, got a good week and a bad week and for who? Well, Richard, um, my... Uh, I'm not sure if it's a good week or a bad week, but it certainly got people talking. Um, I suspect many of our listeners would would lean more towards bad. Um, it sort of dovetails with what uh, Neil and Rob were discussing. This was comments made by NHS England's primary care director, Ed Waller, at the recent uh, MPA virtual conference. He was asked about you know how pharmacies can make sure they're not overlooked in the emerging uh, power structures like ICS boards. And he had you know one key piece for advice, which was, uh, quote, community pharmacy talking with one voice is always going to be more powerful. He advised pharmacies to, quote, contribute views that are as one and as constructive as possible for people at the other end to receive or do something with. Um, I mean, he was, you, you do hear a lot about how there's so many different bodies within pharmacies representing different interests. Um, but he but he he was talking. He seems to be talking more about local structures than you know national negotiations that happen to influence there. Um, I, I mean, you you do hear for, for on the, on the ground locally that there can be a different approach from independents and multiples. Um, multiples might take a more corporate approach rather than doing things via the LPC. Um, he also talked about he encouraged pharmacists pharmacies to develop local relationships with GPs, saying um, and this is patchy across different regions. Some areas you have a really great strong relationship; others there, there's not as much trust. Was the word he used? Um, he talked about uh, GP CPCS referrals. He said that they tend to work best where there's uh, more trust between the practice and the pharmacy. Um, he said uh, we you know we really want to see community pharmacy become a more and more integrated part of every primary care network. Um, presumably that entails you know having more influence. Though as we've you know discussed today, it's it's unclear how pharmacies can can get that influence. Um, there was sort of a mixed response on social media. Uh, some people said, "Fair enough." You know, if you're always going to have more power if, if you speak as one, um, otherwise you lead yourself open to, to divide and conquer. Other people were more skeptical. Um, they uh, pointed out that Ed Waller uh, may have been one of the architects of the funding cuts. Um, he's, he's he's definitely been, been saddled with that label. Um, they uh, talked about... They, they said his comments were, were sort of disingenuous, you know, well, when it came to the funding cuts, we all spoke as one and that was disregarded. Um, so a bit of a bit of suspicion there. 
Um, I was curious to hear, like Rob, obviously you sort of you were involved with uh, Pharmacy Voice, which you know its raison d'être was to was to speak as one and to sort of make sure these sort of internal pharmacy squabbles didn't uh, didn't hinder the, the sector's you know overall objectives. What did you make of of, of what Ed said and and uh, and the debate that ensued? Well, I haven't really thought about it, Arthur. Actually, no, I have. Obviously, uh, one voice. Um, so, where to start? Um, I mean, you, as you point out, I should perhaps declare something of an interest, and I guess there may be one or two people listening to the podcast who will not know much about the last time the one voice approach was properly tested. So, if there are one or two people out there who don't know, Pharmacy Voice, as it was called, existed from December 2010 to April 2017 as a collaboration covering broadly policy and public affairs, a collaboration between the National Pharmacy Association, the Company Chemist Association, and the Association of Independent Multiple Pharmacies. Um, the lessons I take from its demise, uh, to be honest, is that you'd be better off trying to agree a broad strategy. Um, might Wouldn't that be nice? Um, and put your energy into keeping the various national interest groups on side with that, then try to force people to work together. Um, I mean, my experience over that six and a bit years is that from the very start, Pharmacy Voice was briefed against by external parties and by some people in those constituent organisations who never wanted to collaborate in the first place. Um, and its work over time was was at points undermined by those same individuals and groups. Um, and even when organisations worked together on things, there all seemed to be someone who didn't like the outcome and then tried to delay next steps or even stop things completely. And I mean, I think I don't think things have improved, but unfortunately, the lack of governance within some organisations means that boards don't seem to believe in taking collective responsibility for decisions and agreements willingly entered into. There's an interesting thing uh, currently, given what um, Lord Frost has been saying over the last couple of days. Um, just as a case in point, pharmacy people probably forgot, even people who know about Pharmacy Voice have probably forgotten this, but Pharmacy Voice's first chair, a former chair, and at the time a board member of the NPA, not only stood down, but he left pharmacy representation altogether as a result of his experience. And at the time, I wasn't surprised. Personally, I'm very proud of the work that we did uh, working together. We assembled, without doubt, the, ve the very best team I've ever worked with. Now, the CIG team is pretty good, uh, but the Pharmacy Voice team were all experts in their fields, whether that's policy, public affairs, organisational management, comms. Very few of them were pharmacists. That was a good thing. Our last chair was fabulous, and we had a remarkably united board. Given everything that I've just said, a remarkably united board who provided coherent leadership. We, the team, were all conscious of our role in the story. As officers in a trade body, you are there, as the guy who wrote the book on trade association management, Mark Bolliott, would say, to rep represent the interests of members. I'm not making that book up. It's sitting on my shelf here today. I read it, but I doubt many of my opposite numbers ever did. Mark's statement is bang on. But I've given you only the first bit so far. The full thing went something like this. The role of a trade association is to represent its members' interests, but not necessarily their views, because on occasion their views will make us a laughing stock. And the role of those working in a trade body is to work as hard as we can 
to ensure that their interests and their views coincide. Now, we don't have time to go into all of that now, but at some point it might be worth unpacking that statement because it says a lot about both leadership and the value of expertise. We supported the development of some of the most important work streams community pharmacy has had in years. Some still exist, the community pharmacy safety group, the cross-sector IT group, the stories I can tell you about why and how those groups came about that in themselves would tell you how difficult it can be when individuals want to do something different or when members' views differ from their interests. But I'll save them for the tell-all book I might or might not be working on. We ran an award-winning campaign, Treat Yourself Better, with an organisation in a completely different sector that was ultimately adopted and developed further by the NHS. We ran a modest marketing campaign called Dispensing Health that shifted the needle of public opinion for a while and which landed us the perfect quad vector, that is a word, of major story, leader, lead letter to the editor, and even the front page cartoon in the Times on, if I remember correctly, the 15th of January 2014. We also developed a strategy for the sector in the Community Pharmacy Forward View, working with PSNC and the RPS that was welcomed by NHS England, although submission into government caused an almighty row by some last-minute toys out of the pram throwing, and some of the work was never published as it was originally intended. And we also built up a dialogue with key officials, the way stuff like that gets done in the real world, which some people simply don't understand. Doing those things and doing them properly is still possible, but trying to shoehorn them into a single body is a massive ask. The petty politics and sniping that exists between organisations working in broadly the same space and happens in all professions and trades from time to time means you can spend an awful lot of time trying to make something work. It's probably better spending time agreeing the outcomes you all want who is best to do, which element needed to be successful and working hard to deliver on all that together. I'll finish by just saying my dear old chum, Colin Baldwin, who ran both the CCA and AIM at different times, as well as enjoying a good lunch, used to use this particular analogy of the, of the different voices in a choir adding richness, richness to a single tune. I could say more, but I think I've said enough. Well, Rob's now gone down for a, a lie-down in his darkened room and maybe even a dip in his Olympic-sized swimming pool to recover. Brilliant stuff. Do get in touch if you agree or disagree, but some home truths and a great pharmacy representation history lesson there from the prof. OK, we'd better stop there. Time is money and all that. That's it for another week. We've got to rush off to do the paperwork for this edition of the pod. So my thanks to Rob, Neil, Helena and Arthur, not forgetting our podcast sponsor, Aranix from Dr. Reddy's. The Talking Pharmacy podcast is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. We have some exciting website news to announce soon, so watch this space. But for now, from all of us, thanks very much for listening. (laughs) 